everybody. Uh, good to be with you again, uh, whether it's this evening, this morning, this afternoon, in your car, in your home, wherever you may be. I'm glad that you're taking some time with us just to look at his word. And uh, last week, you know, hopefully I had the chance to, to be here for last week. If you, you get to experience the baptisms of Noah and Esther, it was just phenomenal uh, just to, to hear their stories. If you didn't have a chance, you weren't able to be here, I'd encourage you just to go onto our YouTube channel and to just take a few minutes and watch their stories. Powerful, powerful thing uh, of what God is doing in, in people's lives. And, and uh, because there's, just, there's a, a number of other people who are wanting to get baptized, we're having another one on August 8. And so if you're interested in getting baptized on that day, we'd love to have you uh, join us for that. So uh, just send me an email. Let me know and uh, we'll get you all the information that you need. Uh, maybe you just have questions about baptism. I'd love to chat with you more about that. If that date doesn't work for you, there's no saying that's the only date that it can happen. We'd love to, uh, surely we'd love to um, make it, make uh, that happen however uh, possible. So uh, again, love to hear from you. Um, last week as well, we uh, talked about being um, united in a divided world. That there's so much division around us. And as Jesus followers, he's called us to be united around one thing. And that was a, around the mission, around the gospel of Jesus. And as we were reading through Philippians, uh, we realized that it required an attitude of humility. The same attitude that Jesus had. This attitude of, of submitting to one another uh, in order for us to, to maintain that sense of unity. Unity that matters. Not unity at any cost but a unity that basically he paid an incredible price for. And so um, that attitude that Jesus had, I just want to pick up from there this week. And uh, we're going to jump off from there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Here's how Paul describes uh, our Lord and Savior and the attitude that he had and what uh, he desires for us. He says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God. What a powerful line that is. He was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Then he appeared in human form and he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Powerful thought. He did that for us. And as a result, it says in verse nine that God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above every other name, and that at the very name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue would declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an incredible um, poetic uh, piece of, of um, literature that Paul wrote to this gathering of Jesus followers in Philippi. And to be honest, last week, um, I, I had in my mind where I wanted to speak on last week. I wanted to speak on verse 14 because I, I heard Wes uh, from Sweets Corners preach a message on it just a couple of weeks ago. And, and June sent it to me and she said, this, this verse is, um, is really amazing or this, this sermon was really amazing. I listened to it. And it's all about, you know, don't grumble and complain. And as I was kind of getting ready for that, I'm like, well, we kind of need the context. And so we went back earlier in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 and this kind of you know I, we just never got there last week and so this week I was like you know we we're gonna get there and, and, and I guess we'll see if we do it says this in um, Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 as we pick up after this this portion of scripture about our, our savior Jesus Paul Paul writes this and he just simply starts by saying dear friends 
Dear friends, you know, Paul's writing to a group of people in Philippi that he knows. He, he, he's very fond of this, these people. He's writing to them from a, from a prison cell, so he can't go and visit them. But he's writing, he's writing this letter to them. And, and many of Paul's letters are like a rebuke or a correction or the answer questions. But this letter is a little different, especially this portion of the letter. He's actually just writing to them to encourage them. He's writing as a letter of gratitude. They had actually sent him supplies while he was in prison. They sent a friend along, Epaphroditus, to be there with him. And so it's the same man, Epaphroditus, who he sends back and says, here, take this letter with you to, the, to, to my dear friends in Philippi. And he says to them, dear, dear friends, and as he's writing that to them, that, that, uh, that scripture to them, it's not to us. It's not to us here in, you know, Southern Ontario or wherever you're watching from, but it's for us. That scripture is for us. And he says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Now that I'm away, it's even more important He's like, you were, you were doing well by following the scriptures and following my instructions when I was with you. But now that I'm not there, it's, it's, it's more important. He's, he's commending them um, for their growth in Christ. He's saying, hey, when I was there with you, I saw you guys growing in the Lord. And he's like, so I encourage you, keep on living that out, even though I'm not there anymore. You keep, you know, that, that, that encouragement to us, keep on living out your faith, even when the leader's not around. You know, you ever notice people change their behavior when they come around you or when, you know, when somebody else, when the leader comes into the, to the room? I've had that before where, you know, somebody, I'll meet somebody new and somebody will introduce their friend to me. Like, hey, it's their friend. The guy's like, you know, he's uh, using some foul language. We're like, blah, 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 blah. And then they're like, oh yeah, oh, sorry, this is my pastor. And all of a sudden they're like, what? Why didn't you, why didn't you warn me, right? And then all of a sudden their language is just crystal clean. Right? Like they changed their behavior because they, they, so they came around somebody else. Or I, you know, I remember one day, um, I helped at a camp day at Tim Hortons and uh, then you get to work at the window and, and see what it's like to actually be a, like a, a barista there at Tim Hortons. I don't know if they call them that, but it was just like this flurry of hurried activity. And then while we were there, I remember the one time where all of a sudden the, the, one of the girls yells out, Steve's in the drive-thru. And I'm like, who's Steve? She's like, that's the boss. So we got to make sure that we get him through in so many seconds before his coffee's ready. And it's all of a sudden, even that, that flurry of activity got even more hurried and flurried. And why? Because, you know, there was somebody watching. Uh, You know, I've noticed it with other people, but I guess the question that that I had to wrestle with, and maybe for you as well, is have you ever noticed you changing your behavior when you know someone is watching? Have you ever changed, you know, your, your, and we all have. We all have, and sometimes that's not a bad thing. But sometimes I, I wonder especially for myself in this moment, was, is, is, there, is there a reason why the, the change of behavior? Which one of those is the real me? You know, as I was reading through this, it's like his word just cut to my heart. And maybe it cuts to yours as well. This thought of it, uh, authenticity. Which one am I really? Because there's not two of me, there's just one. And authenticity matters now probably more than it's ever mattered before. I mean, it's always been important, but especially now that there's this, this authentic you. You know, there's uh, this saying that says, you are who you are when no one is looking. And I looked up that quote, and it's actually said by lots of different people in lots of different ways. And I thought that's kind of comical, because here it is that lots of people would say, you are who you are when no one's watching or when no one's looking. But then I wondered, how many people are living that out? realizing that, yeah, I'm going to be that same person. I'm going to have that, that character no matter who's watching. 
And my hope today is that it would be maybe just one more. Maybe just one more person would be, he would be challenged to live that out, to think about the, the, the being authentic as a person. You know, like we said last week, it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay if you don't have someone to tell that you're not okay. And we've been encouraging the, the, you know, people to become a part of small group gatherings. Because it, it, small groups actually creates the opportunity for authenticity. To be able to be authentic with some people. To be genuine. To allow, to allow the, the, the real you to be seen. Because otherwise the temptation is to hide that. And, and though that other part, it still affects it still affects your life more than you know. And it affects the way that we live. And I, I thought, you know, I wonder, how aware are we of the fact that he's always watching? That he's with us all the time? That there's that simple thought of, of being authentic and being aware of, of the fact that we're being watched. Watched in a good way. You know, I was uh, chatting with some of the, the guys uh, at our small group and my young men's small group this week. And we, we asked this question, you know, what are you passionate about? We were talking about Paul and Paul was passionate about Christ and passionate about the gospel, passionate about building churches. And uh, we asked, hey, what are you guys passionate about? And then I said, before we go around the room, I want to I change the question. I said, what do you think the rest of the guys in this room would say you're passionate about? Sure enough, Zane starts. He's like, oh, they're going to say plants. I know it. <laughs> you know what it got? It went around the room and, you know, friend Rainier, they're like, yeah, uh, cows for sure. Cows, cows, and more cows. And then it got to me and I thought, you know, I wonder what they're going to say, right? I was like, ah, you know, like I want it to be Christ. But as I asked, you know, what would you guys say? It was like, well, cows and, and your garden and your leaky roof. Like those are the things that I, we, we talk about. You know, it's what we said. What's the person most likely to talk about? Because that shows a big deal of what they're passionate about. And I began to ask myself these questions this past week. Am I, am I as quick to speak about Christ in the park as I am in the pulpit? Am I as uh, excited about him in a store as I am on a stage? Because I think that, that authenticity matters. And that's why the word of God is just so powerful. That what Paul wrote to those Philippian believers that translated in our language as a read, it's like it's alive. It's like, like, like Hebrews described, it's, it's, it's living and powerful. It's sharp like a two-edged sword and it just cuts right into the, to, to the heart of us. And, and, and really reveals what's going on on the inside. And so that's the question that, I, that, I, that I, you know, I think is, is good for us to consider. You know, that when, when no one's watching, who are we? And Paul says this, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Now that I'm away, it's even more important that you continue to live like that. And here he says, here's the thought. He says, you know what, work, work hard to show the results of your salvation. You know, the, the um, New King James says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, work out your salvation. Many see religion as this idea of working for salvation. You know, that's the kind of what the picture is. You try and be a good person. If you do enough good things, if you go to church, if you watch five sermons at a weekend on YouTube, that's got to count for something. But Paul's not saying that at all. He's not saying, hey, you need to work for your salvation. But there is this, this thought of work, this working, working out. If you look up the meaning of that word, it simply says, do the things that bring results. 
Do the things that bring results. You know, over COVID, lots of people were like, well, we can't go to the gym, so let's buy a home gym. And, you know, there are some of those people who they, they get in the home gym and they, they're, they're, they're pushing the iron, they're doing, they're working out, they're doing their cardio. But then, you know what? There's also a lot of home gyms that just sit there collecting dust. And you know, what the, it's like we're wired that way. We feel better that we've got a home gym. But nothing happens. There are no results until we get into the gym. You know, we have a men's Bible study and it was talking with Brian this week and he just said that as they had been speaking among, uh, among the men in their group that this theme of like get in the game is what they felt like the Lord just been dropping in their hearts. We need, to, we need to get in the game. We can't be spectators in faith anymore. There's, there's no time for that. But for each and every one of us to get into the game, to get into the gym, to exercise, to work out uh, that w- what God has put in our lives. You know, following Christ isn't, isn't just a nice idea or a platitude. I was thinking of, you know, this guy named Lloyd Christmas who just says, we're really doing it, aren't we, buddy? We're really doing it. And I wonder about us as Christians, can we say, we're really doing it? We're really living that out authentically on Sundays, on Saturdays, throughout the week. And we've talked about this lots of times. But that reminder is that Paul's just saying, keep on, keep on living that out. Because I think the temptation for, for, for me, for sure, and for others, is that we are tempted to simply think that we're doing it. If we talk about it enough, that might count, but, but that, doesn't, that doesn't change the fact. That you could talk about, hey, I have a home gym, <laughs> but unless, you, unless you've been in the gym, it doesn't, it doesn't bring any results. And here's what Paul says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. You're not working for it, but working out what, what he's done inside of you. And then he says this, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Obeying God. Like in our everyday, what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? It simply means to follow him. So like when, when he says, do, do this, it's like or when he prompts in your heart, yeah, Lord, I, I want to be obedient. You know, to be honest, I've loved watching the baptisms for that reason alone. Is that I've seen people taking steps of obedience. That Jesus, you are my master. And if you say to be baptized, well, then I, I'm in. I'm in. And out of obedience, they get into that, into that water. And Paul says, he, he uses this word, this phrase, you know, that, that you would obey God with deep reverence and fear. In the New King James, he says, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm like, fear, man, we live in a world full of fear. Like most of the stuff people do right now is a result of fear, you know, a fear of, of COVID, a fear of, you know, what others would think of them. There's just this, this fear of the future, the fear of the unknown, uh, these uncertainties. But I know that the people in Philippi had a lot of fears too, especially this group of Jesus followers. They were in hostile territory as, as followers of a different Lord than Caesar. And we talked about that last week. You know, as I read this and thought about it, it just, it, I just stopped. As I read that thing of being obedient out of, out of fear and trembling, out of a deep reverence and fear. I thought about all those fears and I was just reminded of the thought that we need to prioritize our fears. There's certain fears that are more important than other fears. Have, have you ever been in one of those situations where you've got to choose between fears? I was brought back to when I was in Bible school. I was 16 years old. I was terrified of people. I was terrified of like looking, you know, making a bad first impression for anyone. I was, I was like really shy. And, and I, I sat in this class of 200 students and 
And it was in a, in a big auditorium and, and we were studying praise and worship. And I remember Steve McLaughlin, our, our praise and worship uh, teacher, the guy teaching the class, he, uh, we were going through the seven Hebrew words of praise and we got to this one called halal, which, which we've talked about here before, but it, it meant this thing to be loud and clamorously foolish before the Lord. And he would teach about how David danced before the Lord so, so vigorously that, you know, he was sweating, he just took off his shirt, he was just dancing before God out of just love for him. And then uh, he, he looked at the class and he said to us, so we're going to practice these words. And we had done other ones, other Hebrew words of praise. He said, so we're just going to be clamorously foolish before the Lord. And I'm like, what? No, I'm not. But I sit in the third row, right, of all the students. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, no way. I'm not doing this. And then, because uh, I was terrified inside. And then all of a sudden he says, he looks at the class. He's like, and just in case there's any of you who think you're not going to do this, He's like, I'm just going to stand on stage. I'm going to, he says, I've done this before. I'm just going to watch. Whoever doesn't do it, he says, is going to have to do it in front of the class all on their own. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm scared to do this, but I'm more scared of that. And I was like, okay. And so he counts it down, one, two, three, and everybody else starts running and dancing and shouting. I stand there like just deer in the headlights scared. And then I see his eyes looking at me and I'm like, shake my head and I just run off somewhere into the side. And, and it was like this, actually taking those first steps to say, God, I'm just going to worship you as weird as it feels, but to just humble myself, to just like butcher pride on purpose, man, it set me free in some, in some way. But I, th- I was reminded of that and those thoughts that sometimes we have these fears that, that come against each other. And you know, we don't often talk about fear, not in that way. But Jesus actually talked about prioritizing your fears. And as I read this, man, these are some powerful, powerful, strong words. Luke chapter 12, verse 4, Luke writes down a conversation that Jesus was having with some crowds and some Pharisees. And he says this, dear friends, again, the same words that Paul uses, dear friends. He's like, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more to you than that. Verse 5, but I tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yeah, he's the one to fear. I thought, man, what was it like to sit on that hillside that day? Everybody loves all of Jesus' teaching, and then he drops one of these on them. It's like, hey, you want to fear stuff? I know you guys are afraid of the Romans. They might kill your bodies. Like, you got your fear in the wrong place. Your priority of fear, it, it's, it's messed up right now. Because you're afraid of, like, you're afraid of somebody who can kill the body. But, but it's, it's, you know, you're afraid of, of something that can happen here. But, but you should be much more afraid of what happens after. I was reminded of the rope illustration from last, last week. You know, how we spend so much time, so all consumed with this little tiny portion of our life, uh, ignoring the, the, the decades and centuries and millennia of eternity that are ours yet to come. And I, and I began to wonder, why are we so living in fear of the here? Why are we living in fear of the here? As I thought about it, I realized death's inevitable for all of us. There's such a fear of death. You know, the COVID's going to get me or whatever, whatever it might be, this, this, this terror. And yet, it's coming for us all. And after that, we'll stand before our creator. We'll meet him face to face. Have you thought about that? To be honest, I don't often think about that moment. You know, to meet him face to face. When you read about, you know, in the Bible that every vision um, that someone has of God, when they have a chance to see either a, a picture of heaven or a, a picture of God, they all hit the dirt. 
They're all like face down. They're like, oh, you know, and they're, they're, they're terrified. And it's not because he's so terrible and scary, but it's the exact opposite. He's good personified. He's like so good. It's like the, the whitest of white and it's white everywhere. And you're the, you know, anything that, that's not white, um, the, the speck of dirt or whatever, it's so noticeable. They feel so aware of their sin. They feel so aware of the fact that they are not good in the presence of pure goodness. Thought about my shirt as I was driving here. I almost spilled coffee on it. Would have made a perfect uh, sermon illustration. You know, the pineapples and then, and then coffee. You'd be like, oh, those are cool pineapples. Wait a second, what's that stain? And if you didn't see it, I'll, I'd always be just thinking about, about the stain on the shirt. Because it's kind of how we're wired. And that's what he says, you know, when people see God and see his goodness and his purity and his holiness, they become so aware that they are not. And it's just like this, this desire to, to hide. You know, fear magnifies what it focuses on. Fear magnifies what it focuses on. In negative ways, like I saw Nelly this week, she was showing me this video of this guy cutting open a mask and a spider crawls out, and she's showing me, and as soon as it jumps out, she freaks out, hops on the couch, and was like, oh, I've seen that before. She's like, I don't do, but it's so scary. And I'm like, it's not, it's not even real, and it's on a phone. Like, it can't do anything. But fear magnifies the, the, the power of those things. You know, fear is what makes things appear in the dark when they're not even there. And you flip on the light, and it's like, oh, it's not there. I remember too, like, you know, my father-in-law, he just loved to scare, you know, first his kids and then the grandkids, you know, and drive, he'd drive by the, uh, by the forest on the laneway and then pretend to run out of gas. And then as he pretends to run out of gas, like, you kids stay here, you know, don't go anywhere because the coyotes will get you. And then he goes to go get gas. But of course he's not going to get gas. He's going to sneak around the long way and then come up and scratch on the side of the van and just cause all this fear. But when the lights come on, oh, there's not, no coyotes. But fear doesn't even need it to be there. It just magnifies what's not even, not even there. But fear can magnify things in a good way as well. And I think that's a part we, uh, for myself, don't often think about. But Paul's talking about this. He's like, uh, working out your salvation, working out the, what God is doing in you um, with great fear and trembling. You know, that fear is this deep-seated reverence or awe, a respect, a fear of God and who he is. A fear of God and who he is. You know, it puts our earthly fears into perspective. You know, when Paul was writing to the Colossians, and man, I can't wait to speak on Colossians, where it just, he says, Christ is everything. Like, Christ is, he, 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 he's the, he is your life. He's God in a body. He is the, the supreme one. Um, and to the Galatians, he wrote, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He, it's this thought that, that once you realize who he is, everything else here takes on a whole different thing. Uh, I think, you know, I was visiting Gerard in the hospital and I think it was on his wall there where it was a sign, just the reminder of how big God is. And when you realize how big God is, well, cancer seems pretty small. But when you're looking straight at cancer, man, it seems huge. I was just reminded of, of that. You know, do I live my life as a result or uh, knowing that, that it's Christ in me, that my life is all surrounding him? To be honest, I'm not there yet. I don't feel like, you know, I'm there yet. And maybe you don't either, but there's good news. And Paul, just to finish this verse, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
The word trembling, as you look that up, just talks about the anxiety of one who distrusts his own ability to completely meet all of their requirements. That's what that trem- that's a law, that's a long meaning for one word. But it's that the anxiety of one who distrusts his own ability to completely meet all of the requirements. That feeling of inadequacy on the inside, like how do I, how do I work out this, uh, my salvation? How, how, how do I um, do this on my own? I don't know about you, but do you ever notice that you focus on the times where you miss it more than, more than the times you, you, you know, hit it out of the park? I, I don't know if that's just a natural thing, but I, I can think about, you know, that one, those, those few miles where I got caught speeding. And then, you know, I think about those miles more than the, you know, millions of miles I drove the speed limit. Okay, for maybe for me, it's probably hundreds of miles I drove the speed limit. But, but you know what I mean? That it's those, you're drawn to that, that time where you, you didn't get it right instead of all the other times. Or maybe you got a test from your teacher and you look at the test and, and they only mark the wrong ones, right? You look down the page and it's just the red X's all the way down. You know, if you're a teacher out there, just do those kids a favor and put a bunch of like check marks on there as well. You know, the, the, or maybe it's other people. They just keep reminding you of your failures or they're reminding you of that one time where you said something you, you know, you shouldn't have. It just keeps coming back. You know, for those who went fishing with me, it's not rocket science. How many times things like that come back? Why? Why? Because we, that's, that's what we, we tend to focus on. The inadequacies in our life. Because we know they're there. If we're honest, if we're authentic, we know they're there. The inadequacies are there. And, you know, as Paul writes this, and maybe for us, we think, man, man, I'm just what you think. Uh, I can't do this on my own. This is impossible on my own. Paul's not done yet. And he says this. He gives them the why and the how in the next verse in verse 13. Let me just read verse 12 and verse 13 together. He says in verse 12, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Why? Because it is God working in you. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You know what? It feels impossible for us. It's true. It is. But he says, but it's God working in you. Have you thought of that? That is a Jesus follower of God Almighty is working in you. The beginning of Philippians, Paul writes and says, you know, I'm confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you, he's faithful and he will complete it. And that's that thought that I just said earlier. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But the good news is he's not done yet. I'm not there yet, but he's not done yet. Maybe you can say that out loud with me. I'm not there yet, but he's not done yet. He's working in me. As we sang earlier tonight, Waymaker, <laughs> those, those words, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Why? Because you never stop. You never stop working. You never stop you never stop working. Like I've said before, my kids think that song's about me, but it's actually about the Lord and, and his work and his work in us. You know, he says, God's at work in you. And what's he doing? He's giving you new desires. You know, this, I don't know if you think about that sometimes, because I think sometimes the enemy twists the, twists the, um, the narrative in our hearts that we have this like this discomfort because of the darkness around us. Do you know that the discomfort with darkness is actually him drawing you closer to the light of Christ? That that feeling of emptiness on the inside is actually him drawing you to his fullness? That the feeling of inadequacy on the inside is actually drawing you to his supremacy? And that the dissatisfaction for passive, that's actually him drawing you to his passion, that he'd give us new desires to seek him, 
desire to know him, desire to hear him, desire to know truth for ourselves, a desire to understand his word, a desire to know his voice and to be transformed by him. That's what Paul wrote to the Romans. He says, he's transforming you by renewing your mind, but with his word, he's transforming you. And not only is he changing the desires on the inside, he says he's giving you the power to work them out. He's giving you the ability to live out those desires that he's changing in you. You know, he's calling us to work it out. It's not just like he gives the desires and he gives the ability to work out. But that's like him saying here, here's the gym and here's the instructions on how to use it. But now it's you. What are you going to do with that opportunity? Are you going to begin to work out? Or you begin to work out what what Christ is working in you. You know, the desire itself of, of, you know, when God changes the desire, the desire itself isn't the goal. It's not like you're like, oh, oh good, I got new desires. And maybe you fill in the blanks like, man, I wish I could study his word. No, you can. Oh, you know, I wish I could hear his voice. No, no, you can. You can. Oh, you know, I wish I could conquer that addiction. You can. I wish that, you know, sin wasn't my master anymore. It isn't. I wish, is, is, is that, those are, that's his voice speaking on you, but the, it's that secondary thing saying you can. And not you can because you can, but simply you can because he can. He's given you that ability and to step out and to completely trust his ability to do, uh, that you're able to do what pleases him. You know, that fear and trembling attitude, that actually results in a complete trust in him. And I think sometimes, you know, especially, you know, when we talk in church about, you know, we don't want to talk about God being, you know, somebody we fear. And we don't want to talk about that, that type of thing. We get away from that. You know, I, I think sometimes um, we probably need to talk about it more. That we don't really talk about that enough. Sometimes so tempted to just be casual with God that we, we never actually enter the depths of who he is. We're, we're, we're just so used to small talk. You know, we do it in real life too. It's one of the things I've heard from people who've been part of the small group of the house churches. They just simply said, man, like I used to just chat about the weather and everything with the people, but there, man, we just, we got into what's really going on in our hearts and in our lives. And it's powerful there, but how much more powerful would it be if it was the God of the universe that we're just like, man, we, we want to, we want to go deep with you, Lord. You know, if we're casual with him, I think the result is that we underestimate his power. When we face difficult things, we underestimate his goodness. We underestimate his faithfulness, his holiness, his glory. You know, we begin to doubt his love. We begin to doubt his grace or his mercy in our lives. We probably miss out on his wisdom, his plans, and his purposes. So often, we go and do all of our own ideas first, and when they don't work, then we pray. (laughs) So guilty of that. I'm so guilty of that. Why? Because I sometimes think it's we've treated him just too casually. We've just failed to be in awe of who he truly is. You know, I was reminded of um, a song. I, that's a long time ago. I had to look up who wrote a guy named Mark Altraj. I hope I pronounced your name right. But he writes these words. He says, you are beautiful beyond description. This is a song about God, by the way. You are beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. You're too wonderful for comprehension. You're like nothing ever seen or heard. 
Who can grasp your infinite mercy? Who can fathom the depths of your love? You are beautiful beyond description. Majesty, you're enthroned above. This chorus is simple. He just says, I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in, in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. You know, as I wrote this message or was working on it, it didn't come out like any, <laughs> like many of the ones that I write. And I don't know if that's because he's working in my heart through this. And I believe he is. Maybe he's working in yours as well. You know, maybe there's this call and this challenge to, to truly consider if we're living authentic, Christ-following, obedient lives to him. Not just obedient in baptism, but this lifestyle of obedience following. You know, are we um, humbly and gratefully being transformed by him continually? Are we working out what he's working in? Are we working out what he's working in us? And maybe for you, it was something else that jumped out. You know, maybe as you watch, there's this awareness of your mortality and a wonder about eternity. You're like, ah, I don't think about that very often. The death is evident and imminent. You know, uh, maybe you think, is there life after this life? Can I say that Jesus, a man who rose from the dead, can tell us for sure, for certain, that there is life after this life? I think it's Andy Stanley who says, anybody who can predict their own death and, then, and resurrection and pull that off, he, he knows stuff. You can trust what he says. And the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus risen from the dead, there's hundreds of them who give us these accounts of what Jesus said. You know, we realize that, yeah, there's life after death, but why is there death? It's because of this thing called sin, this thing that infects us all. It's that when we think about standing before God someday, it's like this guilt that comes over us. It's knowing that, man, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I think it's Coldplay. It says, you know, I know St. Peter won't call my name. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm, I ha- in my, in of myself, I, I'm not enough. Well, that sin does infect us all. And that's why what Christ did is so powerful. Because we realize that we, we, in our imperfection, need somebody. We need somebody who's able to rescue us from ourselves. From the cause and the cost of our sin. And that's what he did. You know, he laid down his perfect sinless life. You know, as a payment for our sinful lives. He took our judgment and our penalty. The death penalty for sin. He took that when he, when he died in our place on that cross. You know, he conquered it completely as he walked out of that grave a few days later. And he just simply said, if you'd put your trust in me, if you'd trust me with your life, if you would trust me with your future, if you would trust my sacrifice for you, if you would trust my forgiveness, you'll be saved from the judgment that that sin requires. You know, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not an evil God that judges sin. It's simply of his goodness and his just, just in, uh, uh,ness that he that he judges sin and he judges it rightly. But it's his mercy and it's his compassion that gives us the chance to escape that. And man, what a joy when you take it. You know that song, Glorious Day. I was burdened beneath my sin, but he lifted it. He lifted it up and carried it away. You know, one day we will stand before a creator of all, each and every one of us. 
We have no idea how many more days we have on this planet, but we are guaranteed to stand before him. What will you do when you get to that place? Will you be ready? Will you have put your trust simply in him? Would there be this awe and respect of, wow, how amazing he is in his goodness, or will this be this fear and this terror of the judgment we know we deserve? That choice is in your court right here and right now. And I'd encourage you, if you feel him drawing on your heart, to say yes to him. If you hear his voice today, to reach out and say, God, I, I, I need you. God, I surrender. God, change, help ch- change my mind. Work inside of me. Change me from the inside out. But whatever it is, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. And then to live out a life of obedience to him. You know, as Jesus followers, what a great reminder for us. The good news of the gospel is good every single day. Pray that it stirs in your hearts, it's stirring in mine. We pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As we think about who you are. Creator of all. Needing nothing. Seeing us who needed everything. That your love and compassion for us. Your grace and forgiveness. Demonstrated in a powerful way for us. You truly do deserve our worship. You deserve the awe. You deserve to be glorified and magnified and praised for eternity. God, you truly deserve it. So I say thank you for not giving us what we deserved. Jesus, thank you for taking my place. Thank you for bearing my sin and my shame and my guilt. Thank you for forgiveness that it is real. Thank you for freedom that is true. Thank you for life that's worth living. Thank you for the chance to know you. God, I pray over each person listening tonight or today or wherever they find themselves that they just might be aware for a moment that they're in the presence of Almighty God. That we would just listen for your voice. That you'd help us hear. That you give us courage to be obedient. To truly have the perspective of this life that you desire us to have. God, thanks for not giving up on us. <laughs> Thank you that even though I'm not there yet, you're still working and you're not done yet. Grateful for your work in our lives. May you be glorified by everything good that comes out of it. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We want to encourage you today that if you're watching this together in a small group or if you're chatting later on in the week with some of your friends about this, that you've been intentional about it. They said, yeah, I want to find out what God wants to do in my heart as a result. Here's a few questions to help get you started. We say, you know, let's circle up. Let's gather around in a place because this is where we grow. 
What jumped out at you from today's talk? Maybe there's some things, you know, just sharing those things. And then the second question, what was new for you? Was something like, yeah, I knew that. Or I didn't know that, sorry. And then what was a reminder? It was like, yes, I knew that, but I hadn't thought about it in a while. There was a number of them for me. You know, the third question, in what ways are you working out your salvation? And not working for, not trying to earn, not anything like that. But just simply, this is, this is where, you know, he's, he's put it in my heart as I'm, as I'm walking this out. This is where I'm relying on and trust, trusting in him. The, the, the desires that he's given me. The ability to walk those out. And then finally, would you say that you fear God? Why or why not? I'm, man, I wish I could be a fly on the wall for the answers to that question. Because I know that growing up in church, there was times where I was like terrified, man, if you ran in the building, God might smote you. And then got to the place where, no, nah, Jesus is my homeboy. And we treated him like, yeah, you know, he's just, it's so cash. And you don't have to be scared of God. It's all good. But is there, that's why the question tonight, would you say that you fear God? Why or why not? I hope that as we dig in, that it just helps us to become uh, more discipled. Not only to just be his disciples, but to be able to make other disciples who know him, love him, follow him. And for eternity, we will worship him. Till then, have an amazing week growing in and with your Savior. And until uh, till next time, know that we love you and grateful that you're a part of this. We'll see you soon.